I'm very glad we're able to gather here tonight because I believe this is one of the most important messages. There's a lot of most important messages, most important topics in the Bible, but this is one of those most important topics in the Bible that we'll be covering today. So we're in our Depressed People of the Bible seminar, and tonight we'll be covering a surprising example of depression in the Bible. And as we cover this person and and their struggle with depression and victory. Uh, we'll also be looking and following up with last week with uh, how to deal with grief, how this person coped with grief and uh, be helpful, some helpful things for us to deal with when we're going through grief, as well as other forms of depression. So we're, this person is one of the people out of the depressed people of the Bible, and we're also looking at principles from Dr. Nedley's and Neil Nedley's book, Depression, The Way Out. Really helpful book. I encourage uh, both of those books. Uh, if you know of anyone that's depressed or, or struggle with depression, to come out of depression and how to find the way out. So our person for this week, our surprising example is Yeshua. And a lot of people find that a surprising example because for two reasons. They have a misconception of what depression is and is not, and they have a misconception of the nature of the Messiah, what Yeshua was really like. And so we'll be covering uh, those two things. We'll start with uh, depression. Depression is not sin. It is not sinful to be depressed. And so while Yeshua lived without sin, if sin is not, if depression is not sinful, it's not sinful to be depressed, then he was able to be depressed and still not sin. And that is a very important aspect, not only for understanding him, but for understanding depression in general. Because when we think it's sin or sinful or a lack of faith, and that's why I'm depressed, and that's why this person is depressed, then we place a guilt trip on ourselves or on them, that if they just had more faith, then if they just did this, if they just did that, then they would come out of it and they would be okay. Or that uh, it's impossible for a true believer to, to be depressed, and then they begin questioning their salvation if they're feeling depressed. Or they'll be in denial about the depression <laughs> for fear of acknowledging that uh, they're maybe not as godly as they thought because they think that depression is sin. But depression is not sin. We saw some uh, examples as we've looked at various different people. We looked at uh, people like uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, who experienced depression, not for any reason that was sinful. The Bible doesn't mention any sin that he participated in that would bring about uh, his depression, Martha and Mary, as we looked at last week, they had a situational depression because of the loss and death of their brother. It uh, wasn't because of sin. Uh, Jonah, now Jonah made some wrong choices, sinful choices, disobeying God, running away from God's will. That brought about the depression, but those wrong choices in and of themselves were not depression. The, sin was the depression was not the sin. The sin was the running away from God's calling. Is it possible to have a broken hand? Is it sinful to have a broken hand? Let me put it that way. Not sinful to have a broken hand. Can you do something sinful that will cause your hand to break? Yes. <laughs> you might punch someone in the face, right? And break your hand doing so, right? But it's the act that was sinful, not the broken hand that is sinful, right? And there's a lot of things you can do that are not sinful that could break your hand too, right? 
So there's a lot of things we can do that are not sinful and still end up in depression or things that happen to us that uh, cause us to end up in depression. And yes, there are some things that we could do that are sinful, that could lead to depression, but again, in and of themselves, the depression is not the sin, just the acts that would have led up to it. Okay, that's a very important distinction for us to understand uh, in our lives. And so then the second question is, then was Yeshua divine or human? Right, because the understanding of this is so crucial to understanding him and whether or not he was able to experience depression, what type of life he lived on earth, and most importantly, how does that relate to us? So some will say he's divine and deny the texts that talk about him and his humanity. There's others that say he was just human and deny the text of his humanity. And then there's others who will kind of do a kind of a mixture of both or will even say he was 100% divine and 100% human. And that's fine, but what does that mean? <laughs> and what exactly does that mean? And so we have uh, examples of, for example, uh, Judaism will acknowledge that he was here, there was a man here named Yeshua, a historical figure, and they'll even, at times some, some will say he was a good man, um, did good things and good deeds and had good sayings, um, but deny that his divinity. Then you have others that will say that he was so divine that in order for him to be immaculate, sinless, he had to have an immaculate mother. That is what immaculate conception is about. Immaculate conception is not a virgin birth. That's not what that teaching is about. Immaculate conception is in order for him to be born immaculate and be immaculate his whole life, his mother had to be immaculate. <laughs> and that is what immaculate uh, conception, the real teaching about it is. And of course, I mean, if you think about that a little bit, well then in order for Mary to be immaculate, her mother would have had to be immaculate too. And eventually you get back to, to Eve and Adam and, uh, and that kind of falls apart pretty quickly if you, if you just think about it and reason about it. So it's so divine, and that's where people will then not pray directly to Yeshua, they will then have to pray through someone else to get to him, because he's too divine, and he can't relate to us, and so that's where you get saints, and praying to saints, and, uh, you know, or that he's just human, so then you may just pray anything, or pray uh, uh, to written prayers by, by other people. And so let's look at what the Bible has to say regarding his nature, and again, how it specifically relates to us. And this is why it's one of the most important Bible topics that there could be. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. In Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so in both these texts, we see a mixture of both divinity and humanity. We see Mighty God, we see uh, who's going forth is from of old, from everlasting. But we also see that he's coming out of Bethlehem, out of a specific tribe within the city of Bethlehem. And that he's born as a child, that he comes as a son, that he's born to this earth. And so we have their text mentioning both. Now this text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, starting verse 5, brings it all together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. 
And that's a very important text, and we'll get back to that in a minute. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Okay, so very important text, very powerful text. Again, starting with this, let this mind be in you, which was in, also in Messiah Yeshua. Very, very powerful verse. Uh, but it's an understanding these next verses that help us to understand that. And again, we'll come back to that in a little bit. And then you see these yellow portions talking about his divinity. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So if he's in the form of God and not equal, and, and that he's equal with God, then he's talking about another right, being, right? So the Father, he's equal with Father God. It wouldn't be robbery, it wouldn't be stealing, it wouldn't be taking anything away, it would be not taking credit or title onto himself that would be against robbery or, 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 or theft or stealing or, or robbery to do so, to say so. Right, so it's not robbery, it would be equal. So he's equal with God. From everlasting, as we read in the other text, from eternity, his divinity. But he made himself of no reputation. Being equal with God, is that a reputation? Is that a good reputation? Yeah, that's a, you can't get better than that, right? That is a good reputation. But he made himself of no reputation. That means he set aside his divinity when he took on humanity. Now, he was still divine, he's still God, but he did not use that divinity while he was here, taking the form of a bond servant. Just humbling himself and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man. Humanity. He took on humanity. Humbling himself even to the point of death. Can God die? God can't die. But unless he divested himself of that divinity. Because it says here, he humbled himself even to become obedient to the point of death. And that's talking much more than just three days in the grave. Talking about second death. Talking about eternal death. Even the death of the cross. Which meant accursed of God. Cut off from God. That's how low, that's how far he was willing to go. That's how far he was willing to separate himself. Who had eternity, immortality, willing to give it all up for you and me. More than just give it up for three days, more than just give it up, uh, some pain for some time, for a few hours, but willing to give it all for you and me. And then after three days, he was resurrected. Father called him forth and resurrected him. God, therefore, also highly exalted him and brought him back and seated him back at his throne, back in full clothed with divinity, back with the full powers of God available to him. So we see here both. 
So yes. So was he divine or was he human? The answer is yes, but different at different times. Divine before he came to this earth, came to this earth, still divine, but set it aside, did not use it. That's why we see him praying, right? Like last week, before Lazarus was resurrected, he prayed, my father, you, you, I know you always hear me. And he prayed and Lazarus was raised from the dead. What did he do before? He, um, he shared the bread, turned the bread, the, the five loaves and the two small fishes to feed the multitude. What did he do? He prayed. Right? So he's constantly dependent on the Father to do things. He did none of it in his own strength. He did none of it through his divinity. It was all through praying to the Father. And we have access to the same prayer. We have access to the same th throne. We have the same tool available to us that he had. The power of prayer. Dependency on God. So beautiful balance here of all the texts in understanding. Again, there are a bunch of people, that, groups that will just claim these human texts or these texts that sound human and ignore the other texts or vice versa. But understanding what he was, when he was, helps to understand it all. Let's look at some more text. Revelation 5, verse 5, Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, Galatians 3.15, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as to many, but to your seed, who is the Messiah. So he came through the lineage of David. He came through the lineage of Abraham. Were either of those men perfect? Were either of them immaculate? No. That's the line he came through. It doesn't say that he came only from Adam and Eve before they fell. No, came through the line of David through the line of Abraham. Fallen humanity he took on. He took on our very nature, our feelings, our emotions, our character, our weaknesses, our nature, is what he took on in humbling himself and becoming in the likeness of humanity, in the form of humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. As the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Very powerful. In all ways, we are partaking of flesh and blood, and I'm talking more than just the physical flesh and blood, but our carnal nature, the pulling of the flesh, the, the carnal desires of the flesh, the fleshly nature, as referring to there. So he took on our very same carnal nature. That's where a lot of people have a problem with that. What do you mean? How can you have a carnal nature? Well, again, it's not sinful. Is it sinful to be tempted? No. Is it sinful to act on the temptation? Yes. Was he tempted? Yes. In all ways like as we are. 
And even more so, when he was tempted in the wilderness, turn, this, turn these rocks into bread. Could he have done that? Yes. Could I do that? No. So it was a, more of a temptation for him. And it wasn't about food. It was about if you are the Son of God. Prove your divinity by doing a divine miracle. And he didn't. He refused to. All three of them, that's what it revolves around. But he refused to use his divinity while he was here on earth. Because he took on the nature of man, the likeness of mankind. To be made in all ways like his brethren. So crucial to understand this. Because, as it says here, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. And if we don't believe he was tempted the exact same way we are, then we will not go to him for aid, to aid us in our time of need. And that is why, again, some groups say, well, you know, go to some saint or something like that because that person can relate to them more. And so, again, we have the three type of things where the, 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 the ditches, the two ditches, in three different ways. So the one ditch that he's just human, was never divine, and that ignores a whole bunch of texts. Or that he was so divine that we can't relate to him. That we have to pray through someone else or come up with some other type of theories to explain how he could live a sinless life. Or the third thing that then happens, often more in Protestant circles, where we excuse away our sins. Oh, well, yes, he lived a sinless life, but I'm weak, I'm human, and... You know, it's just the way it is, and we're going to keep sinning till we die, and that's just how it is, that's just how we were born, and we don't have any hope, and, you know, well, I mean, I'm not Yeshua, am I? Well, that's basically saying, I'm not like him, and like, he was not like me. But that's not what the texts that we've been reading say. It says he took on likeness of mankind, humbled himself, even lower than us, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. He himself likewise shared in the same, in all things made like unto us. Not 99%, in all things made just like you and me. Just like David, just like Abraham. Now, yes, he had the Holy Spirit. But do we have the Holy Spirit available to us? Can we be born anew and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do we have the ability to pray? Yes. And when he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? What does the Bible say he did? He quoted scripture. Do we have the scriptures available to us? Can we quote the scriptures? Yeah, so we have the same tools he had to have victory just as he had. And he was tempted in all points as we are. Is it temptation to do something you can't do? Is that very tempting? 
Is it a good example? Did he come as our example that he is able to aid us? Because he was tempted just as we are tempted. If a six foot five basketball player, professional basketball player, uh, comes over to me and, and, and takes a basketball and slam dunks it and then hands it to me and says, here, you do the same. I just showed you how to do it. Is that, was he a good example for me? Can I go do that? Not in a million years, right? I don't care what kind of sneakers you put on me, right? You know, I'm not going to be able to do that. He's not an example. He did not become like me. If he wants to run around on his knees and be my height or something like that, now he may be you know, a little bit closer to being like me. Yeshua became like us to be our example in how to live godly life. To be the second Adam to defeat Satan in the flesh. To demonstrate that by trusting in God, we can have victory over all sin. And thus he was tempted just as we are. And again, even more so. Because he had power. He could have called and could have done. But he didn't. And that would be even more difficult to hold back from doing, to prove his divinity. But if he would have proved his divinity, he would have lost right there, and Satan knew it. And so he had to come here in the flesh, live like you and me, and defeat Satan just like you and I can. And that's powerful. Because if we can't relate... So here's an example... Uh, I knew a, a man, a missionary in Africa, and the group that he was working with, the tribes he was working with, and he was teaching this kind of stuff, and they were coming along and really growing in the Lord and growing in the Word of God and really gaining victories. But there was one area in this particular group that there just seemed to be a, 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 a struggle, a problem. It was just rampant through the community, and it was sexual immorality. And he couldn't figure out, he kept on teaching, and all like that. And then one time he, he sat the group down together, they got together, and he asked them, do you believe that Yeshua was tempted? And he listed off some various different sins, you know, like to make the, the rock into bread or, or, or to uh, shortcut to heaven or to, to, to rule over the world or various different sins or, or, or pride or to get angry. And they said, oh, yeah, he was tempted. Yeah, he was tempted. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was temptation, but he gained victory. He resisted. He, he, he was tempted with that. And he said, do you think he was tempted to lust? They said, oh, no, 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 oh, oh, no, he was not him, oh, no, he was too pure, he was too, he would never think of that, it might never come into his mind anything like that. And then he realized what the problem was. Because they did not believe he was being tempted, thus he was not able to help those or aid those who were being tempted in that area. He can't relate. And thus, they fell in that area. And so if we don't believe that he can be depressed, that he was able to experience depression, then if we are going through bouts of depression, we won't go to him for aid. Because we won't believe that he can relate to us. But he experienced everything as we experience it. In all ways, tempted, took on human flesh, divested himself of divinity. We don't believe in a man who became God, we believe in a God who became man. And not just a pretend man, not just a superman, but mankind. Not even Adam and Eve before the fall, but Adam and Eve after the fall. And not, almost, not only Adam and Eve after the fall, but Adam and Eve after their conversion after the fall. <laughs> and that's what we can be as well. We can be born anew as well. And have everything available to us 
No good thing has he withheld. He'll provide for all our needs, and he's not talking about trinkets. All the power necessary, the full armor of God, everything necessary to be victorious, just as he had, just as he was. Revelation 3, verse 21, to him who overcomes, as I also overcame. We can overcome as he also overcame. Through total dependency, surrender of all, surrender of all self, total dependency on the heavenly beings, praying not in our own strength, not through us, but praying it through him, through his nature, through his righteousness, through his name, and trusting and having faith, and claiming the word of God and the power of the word of God. We can overcome, just as he overcame. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, very important text. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of anti-Messiah, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So the spirit of anti-Messiah was already around in John's day. So the spirit of God is those that confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh. So in that he has come in the flesh, meaning he was something else before he came in the flesh. Right? Not just that he was flesh, but that he was divine and came in the flesh. And in saying in the flesh, again, it's not talking fleshly human nature. There's almost no one, I don't know of anyone who denies that he had flesh and blood. That he sweat, that he bled, that he, you know, get a car. I mean, there's some people who have such a picture, he was so divine, he just walked around, uh, you know, he never, he never, in working in the carpenter shop, he never got a splinter, he never cut the board too short, he, he never hit his thumb, you know, he never, oh, he never got his, clothing dirty, his baby, he never soiled his pants, you know, he just, nah, perfect, 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 you know, just this perfect thing out there, you know, walking around in white all the time. But no, he became in the flesh, just like we are, born into a family. And so, the, so almost no one denies that he walked as human, even those who don't believe that he's God or son of God or, or, or a divine We'll say, oh yeah, there was a guy, there's too much historical evidence to deny there wasn't some guy that, you know, of that name, Yeshua, who walked around this earth uh, at that time. Yeah, in the flesh. So everybody believes he was in the flesh, but that's not what it's referring to here. It's talking about the fleshly nature, the carnal nature, that he took on our carnal nature with its inner propensities to sin, inner desires to sin, inner cravings for wrong but never yielded to them. Just as we have the opportunity to do. See, Adam and Eve didn't have that inner cravings because they were born and made in the likeness of God. We're created in the likeness, we've taken on carnal nature because they surrendered to, to Satan. We became servants to him, slaves to him, and every generation, everybody since then. So we have these inner desires, not only Satan tempting from the outside, we'll get more into that next week, but also from the inside we're tempted, and so was Yeshua. 
but he never yielded to it. Because again, he had the Holy Spirit, which we can have available to us as well. But every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh, carnal flesh, human carnal nature flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of anti-Messiah. And yet again, almost everyone at some point will say, well, not totally, totally like us. Have people read the book and write, well, you know, it's a great book, lots of great things, lots of great helps, very powerful. But I'm not sure if Yeshua actually had depression. <laughs> we'll see you did. We'll see that in a minute. But again, if you have a wrong conception that depression is sin, then you won't think it. Or if you think that he wasn't exactly like us, you'll have a hard time believing that he experienced depression. And that is the spirit of anti-Messiah. Against the Messiah. That he was divine, took on totally human flesh, set aside the divinity, did not use it while he was here for 33 years, and then took it back on as he ascended back to the throne. Thus, he can relate to us, and we can relate to him. And we can go to him in our time of need. I know this is a very hard topic for a lot of people to get their minds grasped on, because again, for so many decades, centuries, we have this divine being with a halo on every picture around his head. To think that he became just like us is anathema to many of teachings out there. But we're seeing lots of text on that, and we're going to see some more. So I'd like to pause here before we get into um, the examples of him experiencing depression. I'd like to pray for getting God's spirit to be over our minds and hearts. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we only want your spirit. We don't want the spirit of anti-Messiah. We want your truth to fill our minds and hearts. So we surrender all, all preconceived ideas, all preconceived thinking, all false theology, we want your word, we want your truth, we want your spirit to fill our minds and our hearts. In Yeshua's name, amen. So let's look at some examples. Well, before we get to that, okay, so just a little review. Depression is not sin. It is not sinful to be depressed. While Yeshua was here on earth, in the flesh, he had the same temptations, feelings, and emotions that we have. Same. Exactly just like us. John chapter 11, verse 35, Yeshua wept. We read about that last week. Luke chapter 19, verse 41, he saw the city and he wept over it. So he was touched with our feelings and he wept. He had emotions as we do. Now in both those cases, he's crying for someone else, but he's still depressed. That's still a depressed form. He was crying like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, most of his crimes were for others. He was crying for the city. He was crying for the daughters of Jerusalem. And he was depressed in his crying. And so here Yeshua also was sad and weeping. He wasn't just sitting back, total empathy, no emotion. Okay, I'm sad that you're, you know, troubled and Lazarus is dead. But he also was touched and experienced it with us. Matthew 26, verse 36. Yeshua came to Gethsemane, right after his Passover, the last Passover, Yeshua came to Gethsemane, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, 
even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And in the Gospel of Luke, it elaborates a little bit more. Same situation there in Gethsemane. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That is a physical thing. There's even a name for it. I forget how it, whatever. It's many more syllables than I can pronounce. But it, <laughs> and it, uh, if your blood pressure goes so high, your sweat will have blood. It'll be drops of blood. That's what he was experiencing, right? Such a high blood pressure, and he's crying, he's on his face, he's pleading in agony. Now, if you went to your doctor and the doctor said, well, how are things going? Sitting there with a pen and paper, and, and you said, well, I'm very sorrowful. I am deeply distressed. I mean, I am exceedingly sorrowful. I mean, even to death I could die, I'm so sorrowful. Oh, I just fall on my face every night crying, and, and I just in agony all the time, and, and I, my blood pressure is so high, I, when I sweat, it's coming out red. He prescribed depression medication, wouldn't he? Yes, he would. He certainly would, right? It'd make your act you, that's depression, right? That's the description of depression. For us to deny that Yeshua experienced depression, we're ignoring the very signs of it there. He experienced deep, deep, deep depression at that point. And again, it's not sinful to be depressed. Thus, he was able to be sinless and still be depressed. And we can as well. And we can come out of it as he did as well. And so in this Matthew 26, we'll continue with the next part of that, right? So it ends there with, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Very powerful. Now, if he was, while he was here, in his divinity, equal with God, hadn't humbled himself, hadn't divested himself, but was still relying on that divinity, how could he possibly say, not my will, but your will be done? Their will would be the same, wouldn't it? For all eternity, their will was exactly the same. Until Yeshua was born and humbled himself and took on humanity's will, humanity's nature, carnal nature, fleshly nature, that doesn't want to die. That doesn't want to receive the punishment for other people's faults. That doesn't want to be cut off for eternity. And again, that's what he was willing to die. If it was just three days in the grave, I mean, he wouldn't go through agony like this, blood, you know, not my will, I can handle three days in the grave. I mean, hey, that no, no problem. I know you're going to resurrect me and put me back on my throne. But he knows he's receiving the curse of God. The death of the cross. To take all of the sins. Which rightly should mean cut off forever. The second death to experience for us. That's what he was agonizing over. Wasn't getting beaten for a few hours. Lots of people get beaten. Wasn't being bloodied up and that was horrible. And whipped 39 times and all horrible, horrible stuff. But that was not the worst of it having the sins of the world placed upon him. 
and being willing to take the cup, the cup of the wrath of God's judgment to be cut off forever for us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you're worth. He is willing to surrender heaven, life eternal, his own life eternal for you and for me. To do that, he had to take on flesh to be able to die and to experience it fully. So not my will, but your will be done. And that's what he's struggling with. He's struggling with that carnal nature. He's struggling with that desire to live here, to not be cut off, and to live again in heaven, to see the Father. That's what he's struggling with. The human nature is struggling and he's battling back and forth. And if that's how hard the struggle needs to be with us to overcome the sins in our lives and the temptations in our lives, then then do it. Fall on your face and pray with agonizing prayers until you gain the victory by God's power, by God's Spirit. Overcome as he overcame. We're too lazy. We want a simple fix. We want the quick fix. You know, the TV show, 30 minutes and it's all fixed fix. We don't want to go through the agonizing prayer of surrendering of self and surrendering all to have victory in him. The text continues, verse 40. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? And again a second time and he went away and prayed, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he found them asleep again, and so he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So no support group. No human support group. They're sleeping. They're falling asleep, can't even pray one hour with him. We saw that that's one of those hits for depression. He's under tremendous stress. No support group. No human support group. Still has the father so far. He's going three times praying in agony, falling on his face. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeshua cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Father had to veil himself from Yeshua. And Yeshua could not see him for the first time in all of eternity. And this is what broke his heart and caused him to die. Because if the Father would have continued in his presence while Yeshua was bearing and carrying all the sins of the world, the divinity of the Father would have destroyed him right there. So the father had to step back in a sense and hide himself from him. And so Yeshua's last words, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? His last hours are in a depressed state of mind. And those are the words that he dies with in a depressed state of mind. But again, depression is not sin. He didn't die with sin. 
and yet he experienced the same type of feelings and emotions and stresses that we do so that we can come to him to find our help in our time of need, to come boldly before his throne of grace because he is there as one who can succor us, one who can help us, one who can hold us, one who can understand us. Another time that Yeshua was depressed, Matthew chapter 14, verse 10, Herod beheaded John in prison, and when Yeshua heard it, he departed by boat to a deserted place by himself. So he goes by himself, he's depressed. Just lost his cousin. And he goes by the deserted place, just wants to be alone. Sit by himself, he's sitting shiva. And again, if we don't believe that he experienced these feelings and emotions like we will, like we do and will, then we won't go to him for help. And we won't believe we can be victorious in every area. So crucial to our understanding. So what is this sitting shiva? I mean, sitting seven. It's a Jewish tradition. It goes all the way back. We saw it last week in John chapter 11, verse 17. When Yeshua came to Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Yeshua was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Mary was sitting in the house. She's sitting Shiva. She's sitting for seven days. It's the fourth day of her sitting Shiva. And others have gathered to her. Isn't that what the tradition is like today? So this tradition is 2,000 years old at least, where people come and comfort us when we're going through, and it's very helpful when we're going through grief to sit Shiva, a loss, a loss of a loved one type of thing. And to sit and stop, don't go back to work, don't ignore it, don't bury it, don't suppress it by running and getting active again, whether it work at the job or work around the house and mowing the lawn and doing the dishes and cooking meals and getting the busyness, just sit and remember your loved one. Think about them. Memorialize them. Get out the pictures. And then as friends come over, they're not, you're not to entertain them. They're to come and comfort you. Or we're to go to comfort them when they're mourning. They don't have to clean the house. We should clean the house for them. They shouldn't cook the meal. We should bring them food so that they don't have to do anything for seven days. And we can sit there and listen to them tell us stories so they can go through the five segments of grief. And then we can share what that person meant to us as well and tell the stories of what we experienced with them and to help them go through that grieving process. So sitting shiva is very good, very healing very important to when we run back to work or run back to our lives too quickly. Another thing we do in Judaism is saying Kaddish, which is a, a, a statement that we say, and it's not a prayer for the dead. It doesn't mention dead at all. Uh, pray to the dead or for the dead. Uh, but it's a praise to God. The statement of holy, Kaddish means holy. Holy is God. It's praising him. Yeah, it doesn't mention death, doesn't mention a loved one in, in the statement. And it doesn't have to be by word or wrote, 
any type of cottage, any type of holiness, praising God when we've lost someone. And whether that's, again, loss in death or loss through other means uh, or loss of a thing or a job or a, a limb or an ability or, or a sight or whatever loss there is, to praise God in spite of it, to give thanks for what we do have and not just of what we lost. Focus not just on what we lost, but on what we still have and what we did have. So saying Kaddish is very helpful during that seven days and even afterwards. So saying Kaddish. One of the, some of the funeral traditions that help to facilitate the grieving process uh, is during a Jewish funeral, uh, the mourners will wear a, a little cloth and at a certain point in the ceremony, uh, we rip it. And that is to demonstrate the tearing of our heart, how our hearts are being ripped apart as we're going through the grief. And we see biblically where they would rip their garments, where they would rend their clothes. Well, instead of rending your whole suit, they <laughs> just ripped this little piece of thing. It's just the symbolism. It's just the outward manifestation of what's going on inside. And that's the important part. Doesn't have to ruin, again, expensive clothing, but it's, as long as we're demonstrating and outwardly manifesting it. Another thing we do is at the graveside, when the casket is lowered, and just walk away, let someone else bury them. The family members will come and grab some dirt and put it into the grave on top of the casket. Thus, we are burying, and it helps to give closure. Seeing the dirt fall upon it, very, hard, uh, very difficult and emotional, but nonetheless, it helps to visualize, again, externally what has just happened bring reality, bring us out of the denial a little bit, as we are then participating in it, giving finality to it, at least until the resurrection. Remembering, important for us to remember, Zakhor, and so some ceremonies on that, uh, a year later, traditional, that's when the tombstone goes up, a year later on the anniversary, so that we remember. Uh, other type of ways to remember is the yurtzeit candle, the yearly candle. Yurt site, uh, we're uh, lighting a candle in remembrance of them. And so various different ways to remember. Again, various different things that we can do to help us to remember and to not just get on with it and forget and move on uh, and to suppress. But it's good to remember not to forget. And there's a third time when Yeshua will grieve. So all of those uh, are helpful tips. So you let you look at them again to help someone that you know who's grieving the loss of a loved one, you can make those suggestions to them, or when our time comes and we lose someone in our life, to go through that process. There's a third time when Yeshua will grieve and experience depression. So we saw he grieved when Lazarus died and when John died, and mostly for others. And he grieved and was depressed and struggled when he was grieving his own coming death, second death, eternal death, and grieving the separation from the Father. There'll be a third time as well, which he will experience for eternity. As we spoke about last week, the, the segments of grief, we never stop grieving, we never stop missing, we never stop, the loss will always be there for whoever we, we've lost, whoever died, or whatever loss it is, again, whether a function or, or a position or ability. It'll always not be there. Nothing will actually fully replace it. 
there'll still be that loss. Well, he will lose for eternity. Again, even when we're in the acceptance segment of the stages of grief, it's still part of the segment of grief. We're still grieving. He will grieve for eternity those who refuse his love, those who reject his free salvation, those who reject his mercy and his grace, those who refuse to accept his sacrifice that he already prepaid for them to receive forgiveness for their sins, for those who reject the power of the Holy Spirit to give them victory over sin and lose out on heaven. And for all eternity, he will never forget. He has engraved them just as much as us on the palms of his hands. And he will never forget them. And he will grieve for all eternity for them. Now he'll be in an acceptance stage. He'll be able to function. He'll be able to cope with it. But he'll never forget. And thus we don't want to cause him to grieve. We don't want to cause him any more pain. We don't want to crucify him afresh by sinning. And so if there's any sin in our hearts and lives, surrender it now. Don't hold on to it. Don't rebelliously choose to consciously, willfully, continuously reject his power and his grace and his forgiveness and his victory. Surrender whatever area you're struggling with and let him give you the victory. And if you have not yet accepted him as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins, don't cause him to grieve you for all of eternity. The loss of you, he loves you with an everlasting love. Surrender your life to him. Accept his love. Accept his goodness. Accept his grace. So our appeals for tonight, there's several of them. Are you thankful to know that Yeshua experienced situational depression while he was here on earth, living temporarily in the flesh with the emotions, feelings, and thoughts just as ours, and thus can relate to what you go through? If you've not let him know how thankful you are for that lately, then take a moment now or in a moment when we pray and praise him for becoming your brother, just like us. Did you think that being depressed was a sin? If so, are you relieved to know it is not? Well, being depressed is not a sin. And while there are many factors that are not sinful that can lead to depression, sin is one of the avoidable, unnecessary things that can lead to depression. In a moment when we pray, invite God to reveal if there is any sin in your life so that you can confess it, be forgiven, and delivered from it. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one and have not taken the time to stop and remember the person and grieve your loss, I encourage you to carve out a time this week in your schedule and practice the principles of sitting Shiva, even if it's not for a full seven days, or even if it's been a long time since the loss. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one and have not yet thanked God for the time you had with your loved one and the life that God gave them, and to praise God for being God, I encourage you to do so in a moment when we pray. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one and have yet not experienced closure, 
Consider doing something that will help you with that. Could be visiting the graveside and saying goodbye, or lighting a candle in remembrance of them, or some tangible way. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one, ask yourself these three questions. What did you have from that relationship? What did you lose from their passing? What do you still have from that relationship that you can keep with you as you are now in the next chapter of your life? If you're struggling with trusting God with your future of some desire, plan, goal, pray Yeshua's prayer, not my will, but your will be done. Are you thankful that Yeshua died the second death for you so that you never have to experience separation from God? If you've not thanked him for that lately, in a moment when we pray, pause and do so. Are there people who you know who are grieving the loss of a loved one or the loss of a position or reputation or ability who God can use you to encourage and help? And if so, ask God to use you in that way. Do you know someone who does not yet know the love of God? If God is bringing a specific person to your mind right now, I encourage you to pray that God gives you the opportunity to show or tell them of his love. For them. And so, any of those areas apply to you? Let us pray together and let God give us the courage and the opportunity to do or to feel or pray or thank or praise or whatever applies to you, to confess, whatever necessary. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your matchless love that you. Father, were willing to give us your son, that you were willing to be separated from him for eternity, if necessary. Thank you, Yeshua, that you were willing to leave heaven in the adoration of all your angels, to experience life here on this dark planet, to know our temptations, to know our struggles, to know our feelings, to know our emotions, to know our sadnesses, sadness, to know our depression, to know our hurts and our heartaches, to know our struggles, taking on our nature. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you for being faithful to the end. Thank you for living without sin. Thank you for being our example. Thank you for taking our sins from us, carrying them upon yourself. Thank you for destroying them in the tomb. Thank you, Father, for resurrecting him. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving us your spirit so that we can have this same mind that you had, a victorious mind, the mind that chooses you, that chooses right over wrong, Give us your mind, place your mind in us. And live your life in us and through us. Give us the power and victory over sin and temptation. And make us victorious overcomers in you.
and use us in ministering to others and drawing more people to heaven. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.